Welcome to Music for Life, enhancing the Armstrong concert experience. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. In today's episode, we explore Johannes Brahms's well-known and epic first symphony, an intimidating task for a composer who felt he was standing in the shadow of the great Beethoven who had preceded him. This majestic work will be the centerpiece of an all-Brahms concert coming to Armstrong Auditorium Thursday, March 15th, presented by Germany's oldest orchestral institution, the Staatskapelle Weimar. So stick around as we discuss this great symphony and how its composer stepped out of Beethoven's shadow to much success, today on Music for Life. I love the story of Brahms's first symphony. He was in his 40s when it was completed and premiered. What took him so long? Well, it goes something like this. Back as a young 21-year-old composer, Brahms had heard Beethoven's Ninth Symphony in D minor. This is in the mid-1850s, about 30 years after it had premiered at the end of Beethoven's life. Brahms felt inspired to write his own symphony in the same key. However, he was very critical of his own work and didn't feel he could adequately follow on from Beethoven's great example. Again, this is about three decades after Beethoven's ninth premiered, and composers who were writing symphonies were always being compared to Beethoven by the critics. Add to that the fact that his mentor and good friend Robert Schumann had announced to the Western world at that time that Brahms would be one of the greatest composers of their lifetime. (laughs) No pressure, right? Well, Brahms had begun writing some material for a first symphony, but eventually scrapped those plans. We know some of that material found its way into his first piano concerto, as well as his German Requiem, but the symphony number one in D minor was no longer going to happen. Yet requests for him to write a symphony did not cease. Schumann had written to Josef Joachim, a violinist and mutual friend of both Johannes and Robert. He wrote, But where is Johannes? Is he not ready to let drums and trumpets sound? He should always keep in mind the beginning of the Beethoven symphonies. He should try to make something like them. Schumann would never live to hear Brahms's first efforts achieved, but his admonition eventually resulted in the Symphony No. 1 in C minor. As late as 1872, Brahms said to one conductor, I shall never write a symphony. You can't have any idea what it's like to hear such a giant marching behind you. This was about 10 years after he had drafted a first movement to this symphony and had shared it with Clara Schumann, widow of Robert Schumann. She wrote favorable things about it to Josef Joachim. Still, it was 14 years before Brahms finished and signed off completely on the work. Even after the work was completed, Brahms wrote to a fellow composer, My symphony is long and not particularly lovable. (laughs) Though it is long compared to some symphonies at that time, at around 45 minutes, it still doesn't exceed many of the symphonies to follow, nor does it exceed Beethoven's 74-minute-long Ninth Symphony. And it has now stood the test of time as being particularly lovable, in spite of what this self-critical composer said about it. 
Both the first and last movements, the first and fourth, start with long, slow introductions before introducing the main theme of those movements. In the first movement, as we would expect, it is in a form that contrasts two melodies. This A theme... And this B theme. So let's listen to this movement in a recording by Sir Neville Mariner conducting the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields.
You are listening to Music for Life on KPCG. I'm your host, Ryan Malone, and that was Brahms's soft ending to the first movement of his first symphony. In today's episode, we are exploring Johannes Brahms's well-known and epic first symphony in the lead-up to its performance at Armstrong Auditorium by the Staatskapelle Weimar, Germany's oldest orchestra, touring North America for the first time and performing at Armstrong on Thursday, March 15th. We just heard a recording of the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields under Sir Neville Mariner. The second movement is marked Andante Sostenuto. Andante usually implies a slow walk, and Sostenuto means sustained. So this is the slow movement, which we would expect from the second movements of symphonies. Composers reserved their most beautiful writing for these movements, and Brahms is no exception. To follow this movement, I would suggest you listen for three wonderful moments. First, the oboe entrance about a minute into it, beginning with this motive. Second, the oboe sustaining a beautiful long note about a minute and a half after that in a mournful tune, which is subsequently mimicked by the clarinet. The third moment to listen for is when the oboe comes back in with the original tune we heard first and is joined by a violin solo. The violin solo becomes a feature for the rest of this movement, joined later by the French horn and then by the clarinet. Let's hear this exquisite movement now.
That was the second movement of Brahms's Symphony No. 1 in a recording we are listening to by Sir Neville Mariner conducting the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields. Second movements of symphonies were generally slow. Third movements, out of four total, were generally a triple-meter dance or a whimsical scherzo movement. This third movement fits into the whimsical element, except that it's not in a three-beat-per-bar pattern. The middle section does have a triple-meter pattern, but otherwise it's a duple-meter pattern in these outer sections. So in this movement, listen for three sections, the first and last being the similar one, with the contrasting triple-meter section in between the two. The main section consists of two contrasting ideas, this lyrical melody in the clarinet... and this descending dotted rhythm pattern featuring the flutes. The contrasting middle section consists of two contrasting ideas that are heard right next to each other, juxtaposed as if in a conversation. This three-note repeated motive, answered by this descending arpeggio. And here they are put together in the recording. Usually, the former motive is heard in the winds, and the latter is answered by the strings, but toward the end of the section, you'll hear these conversational roles reversed. Then the music settles back into its original duple-meter groove. Yet right before the movement ends, we hear a coda, or a tail ending of a piece, that recalls elements from that middle section, that triple-meter section. Let's hear this movement now. It's marked Un Poco Allegretto e Grazioso, or A Little Quick and Graceful.
You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, we have explored Johannes Brahms' well-known and epic First Symphony in the lead-up to its performance at Armstrong Auditorium on Thursday, March 15th by the Staatskapelle Weimar, Germany's oldest orchestra. We will talk more about this institution in coming episodes, which is doing an all-Brahms concert at Armstrong Auditorium. And of course, we will talk about the other pieces on this March 15th program, Brahms' beloved violin concerto and his tragic overture. We just heard the third movement, out of four total, of Brahms' Symphony No. 1, in a recording by Sir Neville Mariner conducting the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields. Before we discuss the fourth movement, I'd like to remind you that all information about upcoming events at Armstrong and how to get tickets can be found at armstrongauditorium.org. You can follow our concert series on Twitter at armstrongaud, and you can follow this program on Twitter and Facebook at music4lifepcg. So now we come to the fourth and final movement, the most popular movement of this grand symphony. In fact, it contains a now well-known tune, which goes like this. The similarity that this tune has to the Ode to Joy theme in Beethoven's Ninth Symphony finale caused a conductor of that time to dub Brahms's first symphony as Beethoven's Tenth. And the nickname has stuck, solidifying the fact that Brahms did step out of Beethoven's shadow to compose a comparably great work of art. In this last movement, you will also hear a couple of other great themes. That famous A theme is contrasted by this B theme. Also, these themes don't appear in this movement until after a four-minute introduction, and there are two thematic elements in this introduction that appear later in the main section of the work. The first one is stated by the horn and later heard in the flutes. The other is a hymn-like moment played by the low brass and winds. This hymn-like element comes back in full majesty in the coda, or final section, of this grand movement played by the entire brass and string section. So there is so much to enjoy about this finale movement to Brahms's first symphony. Before I play this movement, special thanks today goes to my son Seth Malone for helping with research and production support for this week's episode. So here is the fourth and final movement of Johannes Brahms's Symphony No. 1 in C minor in a recording we've been hearing today from the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields under Sir Neville Mariner. I hope you enjoy, and I hope to see you soon at Armstrong.
You have been listening to Music for Life, a production of KPCG 101.3 on the FM dial in Edmond, Oklahoma. From the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus, I'm Ryan Malone. Thanks for joining me.